What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Bread to Build podcast, a project dedicated to sharing the stories of the people who build and those who help move construction forward. If you like what we're doing, you want to support us, all we ask is you hit that little subscribe button. My name is Brett Gowan. I'm the founder of Hammer and Builders of Insta, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Matt Pinella. We are on episode 30. What's going on, guys? It's Matt Pinella, also known as Matt Bangswood, framer and YouTuber based out of Central California. Today, we got a good one. We got on BJ Mater from uh, American Spirit Custom Builders on the podcast. He's a business owner and a framing contractor out of Arizona. Um, today, we're going to be talking about his journey uh, being sober for the last 10 years now, which is awesome, or even over 10 years, uh, starting a business, growing a business, and how to create allies with others and your competitors. And lastly, we'll be diving into his thoughts on tackling a recession. BJ, welcome to the show. Fellas, what up? How are we doing today? Oh, yeah. Doing good. We're Glad to have you here. <clears throat> yeah, thanks for joining us. Very excited. BJ, maybe I'll start off with a, a heavy-hitting question. Ten years ago, did you think you'd be on a podcast talking about being a business owner? Dude, I don't even think I had a phone to understand what a podcast was ten years ago. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's the best way you could have answered that. Yeah, I probably had a phone, but it was probably like some flip-up Casio or something. Little you guys razor. remember, yeah, the little razors or the the slide chocolates, I think they were called. Oh, the LG chocolate. The LG chocolate, man, that thing was revolutionary. You betcha. Yeah, no, it's we're, been a while, right? Ten, 10 years ago, eleven years ago, twelve years ago, I was a totally different human. I, uh, I don't even think I'd recognize that person anymore. Oh, I'm I'm glad you're in a better position. I'm glad to be talking to this version of BJ now. I'm excited. Um, BJ, you've had a, a pretty incredible journey. Uh, a lot, many people, and even you could say probably not an easy one. Um, so we're excited to dig in. Uh, for the people don't, that don't know you, give us a little background on you and uh, tell us, you know, what's your story? How'd you, uh, how'd you get to where you are today? Oh man, there could be a whole couple hours sit down about that story, but let me try to recap the best I can. As we touched on 10 years ago, 11 years ago, uh, my sobriety date is 10, 21, 11. Prior to that, man, I was like anybody else. I, I, I didn't know, like, high school was super chill. It was super fun. I think a lot of people thought, like, oh, yeah, I grow out of it. I was into construction super early as to uh, my mom's boyfriend, family friend at the time, somebody that's still near and dear to my heart, owned an excavating business. And I uh, did form work, concrete work and things like that. So, you know, before I graduated high school, I think in my, you know, mid-teens, uh, I'd go to work for him with him and his son. And uh, so I always knew that I kind of liked it or I don't know if I liked it. It was just something to do, something to earn money, something to go out with, something to have pocket change with. You know, I did that for a couple of years. And I think one day we were waiting for concrete. We had formed up this house and we were waiting for concrete. And he was pissed off about something. I think probably because I was laying in the rocks, like just kind of waiting. And um, he was like, you know, what do you want to do? And I looked down the street and the framers were building the houses. And I looked down at myself and like, I was covered with diesel grease, uh, with diesel fuel grease. My shins were cut. My hands were bleeding. And I just looked up at them and I was like, I want to do that. Like They look clean. 
So he comes storming off the job and walks down to them. He comes back. He's like, you start tomorrow. <laughs> and uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. <laughs> so hold, hold, uh, hold up. He, he went and found you a job and then t- you left him. I had to do the pour first. Okay. And then, and then, and then I went to frame. Was it a different crew? It wasn't his company. No, totally different crew. Like we were doing the foundations in that neighborhood and they were building the house. No shit. That was eight, 18? Massachusetts. Everybody knew everybody. I was a kid. That was eight, 18 years old? No, that was probably 15, 16 years old. Oh, shit. You were young. Yeah, the working yeah. class is a little bit older these days, Matt. <laughs> so what, what happened from there? You, how, how long did you work with them? Let's see. That was called the Redwood Deck Company. And I was, I don't even really remember. It was a couple of years. I remember, uh, I remember getting on my first legitimate house framing crew. And, uh, you know, the first time I showed up with my little bags and, uh, and a busted ass skill saw, sidewinder skill saw, um, you know, a guy took my bags and guy took my saw. He's like, you don't need either of these. Just get down there and scrap out. And, uh, Dude, a year to the day, I showed up every day, I scrapped out, I did my thing. Every every opportunity I got to get up on the deck with the boys and, uh, you know, drop stacks of lumber or lift a wall, like I took it. A year later, he, uh, he handed me my bags and he handed me a brand new, at the time, old still saw worm drive. I still have that worm drive. Like that, that was one of the worm drives I took with me from Massachusetts out here. Uh, and started uh, our little humble company. Yeah, man, I got just like in the trade, frame and trade, like beers on site were, were often there, uh, you know, and partying with your boys afterwards. And uh, I don't remember decades of it. Uh, so what, what exactly went down? Because I, I know we're, we're talking about 10 plus years sober now. At what point did everything kind of go downhill? Like we're... I mean, most, most people work and addiction in the, the workplace is pretty common, but like ex- explain that a bit more if you could. Well, the last eight years of my active addiction, I had a uh, toward love affair with heroin. Heroin brought, did for me what alcohol, cocaine, anything else that I put in my system couldn't do. Uh, and that was bring me to my knees in eight years. And uh, I couldn't function. I, I don't know if I can describe it. It was um, utter torment, man. I didn't want to be alive. I, I, I had planned on not being alive. Um, and that just didn't work. And uh, the day that I got sober wasn't the worst day in the world. I had picked up another bunch of charges and uh, was looking at some significant time in jail. But that time, like I always had an answer. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you got arrested or this happened or that happened. Like, I always had a comeback. I always knew what the next step was. Mm-hmm. This time, I didn't know what the next step was. Like no. rock bottom. That was it, man. And uh, I called the only person that would pick up the phone. That was my mom. And uh, she was like, well, if you want some help, man, we're going to do it my way. You got two choices, Arizona or Florida. And it seemed like she had been doing some research for some time. And uh, what happened was I eat in mining mode and I ended up in Arizona and uh, you know, I wouldn't change any of it. I wouldn't change any of the harms that I caused. I wouldn't change all the struggles that I had to go through. I, was, I wouldn't change living in a freaking car made for a great car, but a real shitty apartment. 
I wouldn't change the guys that I worked with. And that was one thing that always gave me peace was, was framing. Like I could get into a zone framing or doing some exterior carpentry that I couldn't anywhere in my life without drugs. And, uh, I needed to find a way to live without that because, uh, it was either that or I didn't want to live. Uh, you, I didn't you, know what sober looked like. I didn't even know a framer could get sober, you know, because uh, everybody I knew was. You, know? you you probably wouldn't be here talking with us today if you if you didn't quit. Yeah. So, with, with that being said, I am absolutely thrilled that you're here with us. Yeah, me too, man. And, and you do. No one's more proud than my mom. Like that woman's a saint. She's a CFO of our company. She's come out of retirement to come work with us. And no shit. She like. Never turned her back. Although I probably took a lot of years off her life uh, with worry. Uh, I'm just trying to pay that back, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been a long voyage, dude. I've, I've been out here, met my wife out here, my kids out here, started my business out here. Like, I'm so rooted deep out here. I'm involved in uh, 12 step fellowships out here. That's uh, awesome. Let's do my thing. We've got a bunch of sober guys that work with us. I got a whole crew that's a sober crew. That's awesome. You guys rely on each other. That, that's a good thing. I would imagine so, it would be fairly difficult to run a business if that wasn't the case for you. Sober? Yeah. Yeah. I know. I tell these, they're, you know, they're like, hey, you want to have a beer? Like, you know, I still tell people, you know, um, yeah, I'm sober. You know, and that was one of the things too, too, starting out in business. Like, I don't know what I learned about the ego and everything else. And what I learned about trying to live a spiritual life is that like, I used to hide behind masks, you know, there was at work framer, BJ, boyfriend, BJ, son, BJ, there was all these different dudes, you know what Mm -hmm. I mean? And then all that just stripped away and Mm -hmm. uh, I had to just be me. And uh, so I remember going into, you know, when we started our company, we started gaining some traction, we started getting some recognition and, you know, we were thinkers and we could produce high quality and like starting to get chances with these reputable builders and, you know, I remember, you know, sliding a big contract across the table and being like, hey, I'm a hope to die heroin addict, but let's do business. <laughs> um, <laughs> I just had to do it. Like, what's that mean? I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sober now, but like, hey, man, this is me. This is who I am. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't know how to be anybody else. I don't want to try to be anybody else. Because That's good. That could lead me back to the old me. And I ain't into that, man. There's too much to lose, too much to gain. Mm-hmm. So you, you mentioned this move from Massachusetts to Arizona. How old were you when you moved? 32. Okay. So then you, you moved out to Arizona, started your business, started this new life. I, did, I you, ask, did you start a business right away, BJ, or did you work for someone else? What did that look like when you first hopped over to Arizona? No, man. I was 32 years old. I came out here and lived in the halfway house. And uh, halfway chic is kind of what I called it. And, uh, you know... I couldn't find a framing job. I, re- I didn't even have a license, you know, like mm-hmm. a driver's license. And uh, I remember drive walking around, getting homies to drive me around to neighborhoods where I saw framing going on. I remember walking up to an old timer on a track and being like, yo, I need a job. And he's like, uh, you know, I, I, I'm pretty confident in my skill set. I, I was trained out in, in Eastern Massachusetts, very high-end framer, massive, massive builds. Like, I know, I know what I'm doing. You know, that's one thing I always had. And uh, he's like, dude, get out of the game, man. There ain't no game out here no more. Like, there's no, he's like, I can pay you like eight bucks an hour. It's like, I'll take it, you know? 
but he wouldn't even hire me. Uh, so I, I, you know, dinked around for a little bit. I worked for a dude that did some remodels and like built some stairs. And he's like, oh my God, you know how to lay out stairs? Nobody knows how to lay out stairs out here. Like, how do they not? You know? There's no stairs in Arizona. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, we've got the one. <laughs> At what point did you, did you start in business out there? It was, uh, 2015, um, in 2016, we became legal and licensed and bonded and insured. I think uh, uh, I was working for, I, I ended up getting involved with this group and we started up a meeting hall and I didn't have any work. And so I went down and donated my time to build out this commercial space into a meeting hall. I was doing a bunch of benches for people to sit on, trim details and things like that. And just donating my time because I didn't really have anything to do. This other dude was in there and, you know, he's like, yo, you build these benches. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, all right, all right. And uh, goes back to what he was doing and he comes back over. This was a hired guy that came in, you know, the committee had hired him to come help out. And uh, he's like, you a framer? And I was like, yeah, yeah, man, I'm a framer. He's like, come. goes back to doing this thing. He comes back again. He's like, yo, you need a job? And uh, I was like, yeah, hell yeah, I'll, I'll get to take a job. And uh, that turned out to be this guy, Chuck, man. And uh, he was my old boss. I worked with him for, um, you know, that was probably 2013. Worked with him for a couple of years. And uh, then I, you know, had to do something. I decided to try to go back to school. Turned out school wasn't for me still. And then uh, I was like, I'm going to go try to get my, my builder's license out here. And, Went out for a KB1, a KB2, and we landed it. And history was written, I guess. So you obviously packed your bags and you moved to a new city. Uh, it's very hard to work off a foundation when you start from zero. Um, it sounds like you kind of established yourself by just like dabbling in some jobs. And then this Chuck, which sounds like your your old boss and even mentor, was uh, super helpful. But what's some of your advice Um around we we've asked this on previous podcasts but I, i'm curious to get your take a lot of young guns want to go out and just start their business and just taking up smaller jobs and kind of just working up from zero what would your advice be would you if you were to do it all over again would you go off and just try to start your business from zero going into arizona or did you prefer working and kind of working the network and building that foundation what do you think was more beneficial for you well, what was beneficial for me, man, is you get, it's got to be hard for me. I got to find a challenge in something. And if I'm into it and it's challenging and I can beat the challenge and solve the problem, I, I feel so much more rewarded at the end. And like, I'm not saying everybody should hop across the country, go start a business. But like I was willing to do anything and anything that I had to do and do it to the best of my ability. I mean, I remember going pricing jobs and and you know having to have somebody come help me and then taking a side job to pay for them to come help me. you know what i mean like mm -hmm. my best advice is like do what you say you're going to do and do it better than you thought you were going to do it you know it's not easy start small and build up the momentum and build up the understanding of uh you know being on the other side of the bags that uh i was really great as a framer, um, I knew nothing about starting a business when I started a business. I, I learned very slow, very hard. I had to put a lot of work into it. 
mm-hmm. the only way that I'm here today is because I ended up in a spot where uh, the company was bankrupt. We didn't have any money. We weren't making any money. I was doing all this work to pay my guys. I had one or two guys at the time. And uh, I was doing interior remodels. I was doing cabinetry, uh, building cabinetry. I was doing anything I get my hands on. And uh, I ended up getting a business coach. That business coach saved my business. Uh, that was my understanding the business. So I guess if I could change anything, it would have been some type of education in, in business. I think that's, that's an issue a lot of people face is they know the trade so damn well. And I, I see it all the time. They know the trade, they know exactly what they're doing, but they don't know the back end whatsoever. And I, I think that's a, a really hard thing for most people to understand. With, with that being said, I'm kind of, kind of curious, like, even if you had industry experience, when you start that new business, you're low on the totem pole, like, and, and the builder's network or the client base, like, what, what were your beginning steps? Obviously, you got your coach, but what were your beginning steps to establish yourself in that market as a new business? Like, were, were you cold calling people? How, how did you reach out to these builders? And what was that connection like? I was cold calling anybody I saw with a sign. Uh, I had a, uh, you know, uh, a couple of offers, like in, in kind of my recovery community is a really tight community. I was working for other sober people, you know, who also want things cheap and kind of friend pricing and things like that. And then, yeah. you know, branching out a little bit as soon as, you know, we got the opportunity, which was a cold calling, you know, you'd be in a neighborhood doing a job and you see a sign, you'd stop in, see trucks and a dumpster outside, stop in, you know, having business cards made. So you go hand out, listen, man, we're framing contractors, you know, I'd love the opportunity to bid on your project. You can reach me right here, man. Thanks for your time. And uh, just doing that. And, you know, you go in there and you do what you're going to do and um, your word starts to travel a little bit. And so I want to I want to get into something. You you mentioned that you were damn near bankrupt. What year was that? 2015. So you when did you get the coach that you mentioned? 2016. It was right before I got married. And mm. how many guys do you have working for you right now? 18. Hopefully 19 by the end of the week. Oh, and you got a new hire. There you go. <laughs> Fingers crossed. So that that coach turned your your whole business around. Yeah, man. And listen, he taught me the numbers. He taught me markup. He taught me margin. He, you know, I, I I got to understand the numbers. Like he didn't come out and say, "This is what you got to mark up." Yeah. But like, here's how you find what you need to mark up. You know, and then the learning process of like, okay, that number just doesn't stay that number. Like as you grow, that number has to move with it, you know? And then once you understand what things cost, what your overheads are and you tracking everything, it's, it's pretty simple. And now that you got that understanding, you just like, it's kind of plug and play. Like I know where we're at. We always get updated. Um, like where are we at labor force, where we're at insurance wise, comp and, you know, benefits, everything, whatever it is. I, I've got, I don't do any of this alone. I got big support staff behind me. I got a big support staff out in the field. And, um, you know, I've always been in the understanding now that like, if I don't understand it, I'm gonna hire somebody that does understand it or seek counsel of multiple people that do understand it. Uh, so first step like, is admitting you don't know how to do it. 
<laughs> right there, dude. But like, you know, even the guys, like, if you need help, just say help, dude. That's the biggest. Yeah. yeah. You know, ain't nobody know you need help unless you say help. You know what, though? I think a lot of people have an issue with that. Like I said, they know the trade so well, but they don't know the business side. And I think it takes a lot of people. Like it, it takes it takes a lot to swallow your pride to admit that you don't know what the hell you're doing. And there is so much that goes on behind the scenes that I think that's how most people fail is they they try so hard to do it solo. I, I'm curious, were was this a paid mentor that you had, or are you still working with them? This was a paid mentor. Uh, I've had a lot of mentors, a lot of counsel. Um, this is a, a paid business coach. Um, he was for hire. And uh, no, now we're friends. And, um, you know, he comes out to Scottsdale once a year, twice a year. We link up, we text back and forth. I know he's building a house out east and he's asked a couple of questions and things of that nature. But uh, we got the understanding and um, we're able to put it into practice and keep it in practice. That's why that's why we're still here. You know? I love that. I think that's a that's a key takeaway for a lot of the youngsters listening because they think they could do it on their own and they they just can't. It takes like I've, I I mentioned this before the the podcast. I've talked with so many different builders that have kind of like coached me over the years to know what I know. And shit, there was many times where I'm thinking I don't know what the hell I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Show me, like help me, give me anything that I can. Select builders out of Northern California. We've had him on the podcast, Jamie Verdura. All these guys have helped me over the years to to help me get to where I'm at now. Mm-hmm. You can't, you cannot do it alone. Or you can. It's just going to take you a really long time to learn. Or and you're going to have bankruptcy. <laughs> yeah. Or you get to a point where you have to do that, and you're going to stop um, more than you have to. You then they won't even know how to file bankruptcy. <laughs> BJ, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're still going to have to do the how to. Um, I, I had a question. So when you were around that kind of bankruptcy timeline, did you, so you were taking on a bunch of different projects. It sounds like you were taking on remodels, just like any, anything that you could get your hands on. When did you like decide to niche down? Cause what it seems like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it looks like you're just doing all like custom framing and just framing now you're not doing and dabbling with everything else. Is that right? You will not touch another thing, man. Okay. So was that like a big benefit to your business of like specifically niching down? And then, you know, was that the kind of the same time that you got the business coach or how did, how did that unfold? Yeah, well, we were going through a thing. So what happened with the business coach is I signed on, like I couldn't, I couldn't afford like the super expensive one-on-one training. And mm-hmm. uh, the, so he called me back like a couple weeks later. He's like, listen, man, I got four people to link up it's a quarter of the price of you in, you know, I remember talking to my wife and being like, at the time it was like six, $700 or something like that. And like, I'm like, I, I need $700. I don't even know where I'm going to come up with $700, but I need mm-hmm. it. Uh, I think I need to do this. Like I don't have an understanding. And, you know, she's, we came up with the money, with the $700 in and, you know, just like a cat falling on his feet, man, nobody else showed up to the group coach. Oh, just, so you had you had a fucking one on one. Win win, baby. No, I did. I did all the homework. I did everything he asked. I was early to the me ends. I, I I did everything. And so you know, we're going through that thing, and we're looking at the numbers. And he's like, "Boom, clear as day. Here's the three jobs you did framing. We built like a casita and addition and some things like that." He's like, "These are the ones you made money on. What are you doing? Putting table saws and building cabinets in your shop? That's." That's not you. What are you doing going to try and try and find router bits? 
And so I made we made a decision right there. Like American Spirit Custom Builders is going to do what I do best, which is framing. That's what I know the most of. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so we called everybody that we worked for and emailed everybody we worked for. You know, flash sale, 10% off framing contracts and booked our schedule the best we could with the people that we knew. And uh, and we started, to, that's when we started to gain some traction. You know, six months later, we, we go back and we look at the numbers and like, clear as day. <laughs> like, what the fuck were we doing before? You're call. like, babe, that was a well-spent 700 bucks. Right. So it was totally worth it, you know? And I, I remember sitting to him, you know, looking at the numbers being like, man, the, the session being almost over and being like, dude, I don't know if I can pay you to do the next thing. Like I, there was like tears of it, you know, mm-hmm. and like, I really want it. And I, I, I just don't know. I just don't think I can afford it. So, you know, I think I'm out, and, you know, dude, he taught me a huge lesson right in that moment. And he said, uh, you know, I get to choose who I do business with and who I don't do business with. And I'm not going to pull the rug out from underneath and you huge fans of American Spirit Custom Builders. And I was going to bring you through the rest of the thing. And actually, oh, wow. Not to cry now. Thinking That's about awesome. And uh, so I would, you know, if I, if my business fold, I took his kindness for granted. I don't ever want to take anybody for granted anymore. Mm-hmm. So for him, for my wife, my kids, 15 kids at American Spirit Custom Builders feeds, all the guys that work for us, ladies in the office, I'm not going to take that shit for granted, man. Yeah. You can't stop. So it sounds like when you really started specializing framing, that's where it really started catapulting your business, both on the margin side, but just the ability to niche down. Um, was that when you really found your footing in the market or is there like key projects that really helped kind of catapult uh, your business into the next caliber? There were some key projects. I remember working for, you know, I don't want to say, cause you know, I don't want sure. to talk anything, but like I remember working for less than reputable buildings, you know, mm-hmm because they were the ones willing to give me a shot, you know? Yeah. And I remember outgrowing those buildings being like, why can't I do this? Like, why is this guy pissing me off? Like what's going on? Why, why, why isn't his checks clearing? Or why do I got to go sit in his office to get the money? Or, or like, why are they late? Like, why don't I have the information I need? And, uh, you know, that's where we learned that like, it's okay. And it's the process of owning and growing a business that you outgrow your clients. Mm-hmm. That like when you're niched down you can't deal with other bullshit while you're getting better and more refined you can't deal with the old bullshit mm-hmm. you, know? you have to go seek out that next tier clientele and then that, i did the same thing because that's all i knew from prior is i would go look at the top of the mountain and look at the signs and who was building on the top of the mountain and i would cold call them you know Hey man, I'm BJ with American Spirit, Spirit Custom Builders. Just you know, wondering if we could have the opportunity to bid on one of your custom homes. Uh, we're a framing contractor. Um, we'd love to have the opportunity. Hit me up if you ever need me. And uh, that's how we kind of sort of started to climb that ladder. At what point did you find yourself where you did have that foundation, that footing, where you could like competitively bid your prices versus just bidding against others? Well, did it take quite a while to get to that place? It was a, yeah, it was a few years and a few builds, um, you know, because essentially what you got to do, like you're starting out is, you know, you got to take the hardest houses you can find and give them the best, you know, the best price that you can afford to give. 
and complete the house beyond your expectations. And then all of a sudden, you know, because people start to take notice, like, man, that's a slick house. That's mm-hmm. that's trick. You know, even when other framers, their normal framers wouldn't bid it because they'd be afraid they'd lose money. Mm. Oh, that's that, man. Maybe I lose money, maybe I don't. But guess what? I'm going to build that house. Mm-hmm. So that that has me questioning. Were, were you taking not necessarily a loss, but were you bidding at a lower than normal price just to get those projects for these select builders in order to show them what you were capable of? You know, honestly, we were still higher than our competitors at the time. But so how, how did you, that this is a question that I've asked quite a few people, how did you prove to them that you are better than your competitor? I mean, nine times out of 10 people look at that price and they say, all right, he's cheaper. That's our option. What, what did you do to stand out from the rest? Anybody's welcome to come walk our frames. Any 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 client that wants to do business with us, I usually have them come out, meet me on site, let them pick a house if they want to walk, and uh, and walk it. And usually by the end of that walk, dude, I got them sold. Um, it's clean, it's crisp, um, and things of that. And then you know, it's it's very competitive too. So like, you start building for this builder, everybody else is like, oh my god, I need that guy. You know what I mean, and like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't f up all the relationships, and then and then you find you still got to find a niche who you want to work with. You know mm-hmm. what I mean. So like, man, I think the the job walk thing is is a pretty pretty key thing. I, I don't think a lot of framers would enjoy people walking job sites after framing is complete. I know I know a lot of framers in this area they want their shit covered as quick as possible. Not too many take pride in that and have it clean enough to where they're like, yeah, absolutely, come check it out. Um, yeah. that, well, that right there I could see being the, the differentiating factor between you and others is like, you're who you are and this is what you do, come check it out. It's yeah, kind of like, it's, it's kind of taking down every wall, like completely vulnerable, like look at what we do. I like that. Yeah, come see what we do. Come see how clean the hardware is. Come see what this looks like and i let them you know especially let them pick because you don't want to i don't want them to think i'm leading them to like the best one yeah maybe they pick the best one maybe they don't but either way how, how big are you on a clean job site pretty damn big yeah. uh, like a, a weekly thing like daily thing daily daily scrapping out or daily stacking lumber daily sweeping off i've had this thought for the longest time and i it might just be in my own head i don't know but a lot of the times homeowners can't, I mean, they don't know what the hell they're looking at. They're not framers themselves, but what they can see is cleanliness and that speaks mm-hmm. volume. So when they walk out, they might not see like, Hey, you know, that, that cantilevered section there looks bitching, but they do see, Hey, this place looks fucking great. Right. Like these guys are not only kicking ass, but they're clean too. Like that's, that's hard mm-hmm. to come by. I don't know if that's something that you take serious, but man, I, I feel like that is, that has helped us tremendously. We take it very seriously. There's some builders that, you know, will will find you if your site isn't clean. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And even in, in Arizona, I mean, they're they're big on cleanliness out there. Even, you know, I was walking a site with uh, AFT, and you guys have actually have to hose down your job sites with because of the dust. Is that yeah. correct? Right. And, I, and I heard they're really stingy out there in Arizona about it. Yeah, you got to have a dust. Well, the builder has to have a dust, dust cert, but on residential... Residential subcontracting framers do not have to carry a dust cert. It all falls on the responsibility of the builder. So mm, I see wounds on site and sawdust and things like that. It's their responsibility to spray mm. down. Um, 
that does for the end of the day. Oh, wow. So, so you don't want your lumber getting all wet and muddy. So <laughs> <laughs> True. I feel like you're working in Canada, scraping plates. Yeah, that's one thing I don't miss about Massachusetts at all. Did it snow there? Sorry, I'm stupid, yeah. and I don't know where places are on the United States. But. Yeah, it snowed a ton in Massachusetts. It was cold. I went from working in one of the coldest climates there is in um, the United States to um, the hottest climate. Like, I'm a man yeah, of... Yeah, I was going to say. So you you mentioned as like you grew that business, outgrowing clients, outgrowing builders, you kind of touched on it as far as cold calling, but what was your process getting in front of new business opportunities? Were were you like going around job site to job site still passing out cards, just cold calling? No, you know what? It was, I I don't remember when it was, but um, they started to seek us out. Oh, and uh, it was before COVID and, uh, you know, we would get calls from these builders and they'd say, you know, um, hey, man, we really would like you to come into the office and talk with us about framing one of these houses we got coming up. And, you know, I'd be like, you know, I'd always ask them, like, you know, well, what's what's the deal? What what are you looking for for more, more service out of your framer? What are you discontent about about your current framer? And you're like, no, no, he's great, man. We just, we just don't think he can handle the bill. We know you can handle it. We like to give you a shot. You know, it you like went, that. you went from the hunter to the hunty. Yeah, and uh, and so uh, that's what it's been like for the last, you know, kind of three years. I don't mean to sound like, oh, ego, like you know, they oh, don't think I'm awesome. Um, you built a pretty damn good business. That's something to be proud of. We did pretty well, man. Now it's not just me. It's it's the guys, like. For One sure. My Andy that does uh, our new construction, our big, you know, trick houses. He was my foreman when I went to go work with Chuck. That's how I met okay. him. And there's uh, a Turo's on this crew now. He used to work over there. And uh, those are my two longest employees. <laughs> That's awesome. Since almost day one. Yeah, it purely sounds like the portfolio is really what's been the catalyst for most of the projects that you've been able to get in front of. Were there, and you mentioned, were there were there key projects that really helped you leverage your portfolio, but you didn't make much money on? Yeah. I want to talk about, let's talk about growth in the business the last 24 months, two years. So you have about 18 guys today. 19 as of Friday. Oh, 19 as of Friday. This one's getting hired. I'm Come on, calling. baby. If you're listening to this, join. Don't fuck uh, it up. <laughs> What's been the biggest change you, you've had to implement over the last two years with growing the team? And how, how many people were you at two years ago? I think we were at eight to 10 or something. Okay, like so you've about doubled. During COVID. During COVID, yeah. That's pretty impressive. So check this out. Our, we had a build at the beginning of COVID. One of the houses that I've been able to leverage. And um, hard, hard, hard house. Lots of timber, big arch knee braces, heavy timber, small lot, 14, 12, 50 foot radius swoops. We caught COVID, right? Our whole crew. And uh, out of those eight, four never came back to work. They just, they, they couldn't do it. Like the, like the virus hit them so hard, like they couldn't, it was July. Yeah. In Arizona, 117 degree heat, like they just could not step back outside the house and mm-hmm. jump back into framing a house on a 1412. Absolutely. Um, and so then we 
got chopped in half and you know we we dug in our cleats man and we bound together and the four of us fought like hell out of that house man and uh you know the builder wasn't happy with like how long it was taking that month that route took us like two and a half months and uh you know but i wouldn't die i, I just would not die working long mm-hmm. days every day and we eventually we finished it yeah. and then uh what i learned about it is you know you lose money you make a mistake post the shit out of the, about it tell people about it mm-hmm. you know um that house ends up being in magazines all the time uh, pretty chill you know? push push through and made it happen make it happen dude. make it happen I think that's the uh, the mantra over the last two episodes with you, BJ, and then. Danny's uh, a dirt jump, man. Like, yeah, you. man. He just do what it takes. I, I think that's everybody's attitude that we're talking about today is just dig the cleats in. That's it, dude. That's all we got. So you got eighteen people now. How are you motivated? And let, may, possibly even nineteen uh, by the end of this week. Uh, how do you motivate? How do you motivate people to join, and how do you get them to stick around? I can imagine like getting 18, 19 folks to stick around. That's not easy for a lot of construction businesses. How have you been able to keep them? Culture, man. It's uh, you know, there's there's a few always on the fringes that are in or out or looking for something different or don't know if it's going to be cool and like you know, when people come in and they work for the summer or something like that, and they're like, man, I really loved it here. Like, this was the best job I've ever had. You're the coolest boss I've ever had. But like, dude, I'm not cut out for framing. Like, that that means a lot to me. Um, but, um, you know, essentially, the first thing I'm looking to do when I'm hiring somebody is personality. Uh, I don't really care about their skill set, man. I want to know that their personality is going to gel with us. I want to, I want to know that they're teachable. I want to know that they have integrity. I want to know that like, they're going to do what they say they're going to do and just come in, you know, and come in. And all I ask is that if you give me everything you've got for eight hours a day, man, I've got your back. Anything you need, I'm right there for you. Dude. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, most of the guys buy in, dude. And the guys that don't, lead themselves out. You're, you're providing a good work environment. Trying to, and I, I think in the, the beginning of this, you did mention that you do have some guys on your team that are recovering addicts as well. They're sober now. So that, that kind of tightly bonds you guys as well too, right? Yeah. And then everybody, like they go bowling, everybody goes, they go bowling together. Uh, they just hang out. Like it's, I, I love that. There's not many crews that can do that where you, you hang out at work, you build together and then you don't hate each other enough to actually do something <laughs> outside of like, we we go out and have lake days from time to time, and it's like it it's weird because I'm like I frame with you guys, and here we are on wakeboards together. Like this shit's kind of cool. That's like, awesome. It's a it's a bond like no other. Yeah, dude, it's awesome. And we're, and you know that's the way I think of it. Like, dude, we're in this together. We're with each other for you know more time than we're with our families for the most part. We love each other, and uh, and we're here for each other. Like you know, it's it's it's. It's a brotherhood. That's something I've always been looking for my whole entire life. Was a, was a brotherhood. Uh, yeah, and I found it. We were able to we were able to create it and keep it going. And as long as we, you know, fan that flame and keep that little spark going, um, there's no stopping. That, that's awesome. 
Breck and I were talking and he was telling me a bit, he said you, you took on three apprentices over the, the last summer. What's that been like and how are you finding time to train them and, and keep them going with your crew? So frustrating it's going is it no well it's all right um you know we had a a, a a guy that started at COVID. well here's what i want man i like i want all these guys that come in as apprentices like i don't expect them to be lifers here. i don't expect any of my guys to be lifers here what i want for them is whatever the hell they want out of life. whether it's go start their own business uh whether it's go be my direct competitor i don't i don't care like, if that's what you want, give me some time. Let's build something cool. And, you know, let's get you to a spot where you want to go. So, like, one of our the, uh, apprentices we hired before COVID worked with us for a couple of years, man. He was just about ready to, uh, as we were having our foreman's meeting, um, ready to promote another lead carpenter. And his name was up in the discussion. He was going to be lead, you know, lead carpenter of the big crew. And uh, we were just about to tell him. And he was like, listen, I... I think I want to go work for a builder and be a, a, a super. And I was like, man, I'd really hate to lose you, buddy. But uh, hey, dude, I work for this builder and he's looking for a super. You guys might be a good fit. You actually know each other. You've worked on his jobs. And, you know, he linked up with him and he took that job. And um, and it's been cool. But the other guys, like, you know, I had a high school kid start with us last year. I wasn't sure he was going to come back because he was going from his junior into his senior year and his dad's a builder and you know he called me up prior to graduation he's like hey man i'd love to come back you know for next summer and beyond and i was like love to have you dude you're smart come on out and um you know some of them you know the guys that apprentices that you know maybe want to get into the trades or like either way you got to be tough man yeah and like uh if you're not tough for lack of a better term or you end up finding something different yeah and uh you know you never want to let somebody go but you can tell the people that aren't into it you know so what's training look on site for you then pj uh, i talked to a lot of construction companies they don't have time to train how are well, you finding the time to do it you know, there's about a month or so where you're going so our builds are long they're drawn out they're two three months what is the typical size of your projects like what our wheelhouse is about ten to seventeen thousand square foot under. The Holy shit! Is That's there, not a fucking house. <laughs> yeah, you're talking homes, right? Yeah, mostly people say. Yeah. Like Scottsdale area. Scottsdale, Paradise Valley, Arcadia. Yeah. Oh, you're in the money market, man. Very blessed. And our our super specialty is uh, is moderns. Uh, we have got moderns down to a freaking science with the materials that we use, how we execute it, uh, what we're wrapping on the exterior. I'm very proud of where we, because before I moved out here, dude, I've never built a modern. Everything was. Mm -hmm. cool. It was a lot different than back home, huh? Big time different. And, I didn't even know I watched one of your projects. I'm going to actually have to come out there and visit again and actually I was know that I'm on an American just about spirit. to say, I'm, I'm heading out there in about <laughs> a, a couple weeks. I'd love to drop by and check out one of your places if so. Please do, man. Please do. We're here. That would be awesome. Yeah. So you you were talking a bit about training and how your projects are a lot longer than like a typical two-week little banger. Right. Um, so on the tracks, you know, in smaller houses, you get more exposure to each part of the process mm -hmm. at a quicker rate. And here on customs, it's a long drawn out process. So like, 
frame of walls is is a week, two weeks, three weeks, whatever it takes to frame all the walls. And then, you know, you drop your trusses on or cut your roof on and then it's hardware time. So like at wall stage, the kid starts to understand what pieces are needed where, um, how to decipher the layout on the ground that we've got. I'll go through and I, that's one thing I take super pride in is our detailing. Every information, bit of information is on that slab prior to the guys plate in the house. Um, hold downs are marked, beams are marked, girders are marked, whatever it is. And uh, so they go through like, you know, say it's day one. Day one is, hey man, why don't you grab a broom, move this stack of lumber and see if you can make it through the day. You know, you get a week of that. Come on in here, man. Why don't you check out this, this thing? That's called a hanger gun. You know, you get real good at this. Here's how way we like them. Let's check it out. And then we'll walk it and see you know, what he did, did correctly, what he didn't do correctly. And it's kind of like that kind of coddling, like you're doing great. Here's what we're looking for. We try to teach them to, you know, even before they come out, like, okay, this is what you want to, this is what you want to wear. This is how you want to take care of your body. This is what you can expect. And we're good, man. If you show up on time and, you know, you leave after the bell rings, we're good. I want to ask something. I, I, it makes a lot of sense with the pace of a track home versus like a custom for apprentices. Let's say, for example, someone younger is listening to the podcast right now. They're considering an apprenticeship with a builder or a subcontractor framing. You sub. are about to take my question. Go for it. Do you feel like it's a better environment to learn in a longer build cycle versus like a shorter I don't know. Like you're drinking from like a fire hose if you were to do a track versus if you were to build a custom. Yeah, I don't know. Like here's the, the, the thing with tracks is you got to hustle. The thing with customs is you got to know where you can hustle. Um, there's mm-hmm. places to make up ground on a custom frame. There's places that you better not rush uh, because we want it. It's got to be done right the first time because it's a super costly mistake once the world is holding up the world. You know what I mean? So, you know, essentially we just, we had a new kid start even know when that was, it was a few months ago. It's already framing walls, you know, it's already mm-hmm. parts for windows and, and things like that and progressing really well. So I'd rather, if, you know, if they're going to be with me and what I'm looking for is a, is a, is a long-term investment that I can get out of them. Like, of course, what you're looking to try to do is to get somebody to the point where they can make you money. Right. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm looking for. And, uh, you know, we'll keep them, at a certain spot for as long as we can until they're ready to grow into the next spot. And then mm-hmm. they, they get all the exposure all the way up so that by the time the end of the year come and they've been on a crew that built six, seven houses, they've got a good understanding of what's happening. You know, by the third mm-hmm. house, they've got a good understanding of the pace. I want to touch on that a bit too, because we're, we're going over the, the track versus the custom and the, the workplace is a completely different environment. If you've ever been tracks, you know for a fact that it's go, 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 nothing matters. One inch and eight feet is perfect. Like the the quality level that is instilled in the youngsters that work in those tracks is I, I hate to say it, but it's shit. And I've I've worked with many of them and they just don't care. Nothing matters. Doesn't matter if it's clean. The the custom side of things, like our our best employee, the dude literally grew up building custom homes. He was an apprentice for, he did his four years on customs and his attention to detail is phenomenal. In comparison to some that I've worked with where it's like, ah, 
your facial looks like shit. Let's go for it. Like you, you're not learning speed. You're learning quality. You know, you're going to get faster the more you do it. I never built a track. I, I tried to build one track to see like if I could, like one of my competitors. <laughs> and then like, you know, six days, you can't beat that. And I was like, you know, I'm like, I don't need this right now. And, uh, and I took it and uh, it took us like two weeks. I was like, this is stupid. <laughs> okay, I'm out of here, man. You want to finish punching this thing out for me? What I do know is that we can do a thousand square feet per week completed under roof on average so that's awesome that that math doesn't translate to a track you know yeah it's completely different bj i I want you and i were talking on the phone the other day um just in terms of like the labor market and everything what what's the competition look like for labor out in arizona is everybody just competing on wages and how are you thinking about like creating structures around like retention based on like benefits and everything i know this is a big topic that you and i were talking about the other day Right. Uh, it's cutthroat, just as cutthroat as any other area in the country, you know, it's, it's especially for labor, um, you know, with the increased labor prices, just like everybody else, you got good eggs and bad eggs. You got guys that are looking to jump ship to gouge you, you know, talking shit about the guys they're working for and stuff like that. And I'm real weary of something like that. And, uh, and, you know, laborers, you know, laborers don't make $12 an hour anymore. You know, mm-hmm. $17 an hour, you know, mm-hmm. and it's like, it's a big difference and, uh, that it was 10 years ago. And, um, and yeah, there's not a lot of labor to go around either, you know, um, cause everybody's busy. This, this economy out here is freaking booming. Everybody and their mother is a framer. Yep. Um, and we got unlicensed guys that, you know, you have to fight with and, you know, we used to have to bid with and so you weed out the people that are entertaining bids from unlicensed guys that can do it mm-hmm. for half the price that you can. Why waste your time with any of that? You know, go find the clientele that you were born to produce for. The, okay. That clientele is not going to look at unlicensed labor and say, yeah, we're, we're good to go. This is what we want. Nope. That's like a, a huge turning point in most people's business is like realizing that they're no longer competing with like bottom of the barrel. Right. Uh, I'm sure that's a great feeling for you. It's pretty cool. I mean, it still has its aggravations like anything else, but absolutely, it is what it is. But um, Breck, what you're saying, like retention, like we always wanted to do something. I always wanted benefits, right? I was I worked at a company back in Massachusetts. I've probably only ever had four jobs in my whole entire life, and I've been doing this since uh, 1994, maybe. And um, I had a, I was at a company that had health insurance and. Uh, and paid time off and, and things like that. And that health insurance put me through rehab. Mm. Uh, oh, no shit. It always stuck with me. And uh, I wanted to go back and work for that company, but I couldn't. Uh, I went back there, tried to jump back into it, and um, something felt off. I, I told my bosses, like, man, I think I got to go back out to Arizona. And they're like, listen, man, we love you. We want you safe. We're always here. Uh, if you need us and uh, they're super proud of me for being out here doing this thing and uh and so what we wanted to do was grow into the point where we can actually afford i was a little bit like upset like i thought we could have afforded health insurance or some benefits a long long time ago but they're very costly um mm-hmm. we're working towards health insurance but earlier this year the first of the year 
Um, we implemented and picked up 100% for our guys, uh, short-term and long-term disability and uh, life insurance policy. That's awesome. That's easy to pick up that we could implement right away uh, that lets them know, man, we got you. And yeah, you guys care. Everybody on payroll, they get time off, uh, vacation time and and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's, uh, it's something that we always wanted to do. And, you know, you hear rumors of the guys that, you know, you never see signs for companies, you know, that have 30 or 40 year relationships and all their guys, you, every once in a while you meet one of the guys like, oh yeah, we got health insurance. Like those framing companies have been in business for 30 years that have health insurance, you know, yeah. and, and uh, you know, I'm knocking on them, on their, those guys heels, like the, uh, the, you know, the column of the phantom framers, because like nobody knows who they are, but they're up in the mountains somewhere framing some compounds and, you know, I'm not stopping until I'm there. Tell you the truth. So, no, I, I like that you look at your 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 team as like actual team members, not just like another number. Like you're putting systems in place, and you want to put in systems in place to retain them for the long term. I've talked to a lot of business owners, and I, I'm kind of curious to maybe like hear your thoughts on this, and maybe just some other business owners and people listening to the podcast. It sounds like a lot of your motivation was because health insurance kind of saved your ass. Um, that's definitely kind of what you communicated to us. But when I've talked to a lot of business owners sometimes they just think of their people as a number or they don't want to provide the the health insurance or the benefits to their people. And I get it. It makes sense. It's super costly to like health insurance. It's not affordable to any small business. Or if you're under person. 50. Yeah. I'm yes, exactly. If you're under 50, hundred employees, like good luck. You, you just don't have buying power. Like you're just going to get the, the rate is the rate at that point. Um, are you finding that you're having any pressure from labor and your market or your own uh, employees on wanting these types of benefit structures? Or is everybody just, you know, wanting that extra two, $3? What, what, what does the market look like for you? Well, the older guys are looking for it. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty interested in it. Um, but nobody's forcing it. I mean, they're all, they all seem like they're along for the ride man, and they're going to do whatever they need to do for the company and the company they know that it's going to take care of them and uh it's not a make or break thing for them it's just something that we hope that we can provide them mm-hmm. as they get older and we age like things happen yeah. to add to that I, I think these people have been around long enough to see the progression not only in the business but in you as well to know that you you aren't just going to kick them to the curb here in a couple of years this is a long-term plan they're not here just for one project. Mm-hmm. This is there's a there's a bigger picture that they're seeing to this. Yeah, yeah I think I, I think they're understanding that they're, they're seeing it. We we talked to Jamie a little bit about this on our on our last podcast, but I kind of want to get your gauge on it. Uh, we've chatted a little bit. You seem a little pretty optimistic about kind of what the market is doing right now, uh, just with the the recession um, and everything. But with the market being a bit unsteady right now. Um, some clients are pulling out they're pulling the plug. They're holding off on building due to just costs or, you know, just uncertainty. Um, has this changed much for you in your market? Yeah, we were hoping it would so we could catch a break and a breather. But uh, I mean, you're dealing with some pretty high clientele. So like those people, they have money. They're still going to be purchasing. I was going to exactly. say that because that's what Jamie kind of, Jamie kind of touched on that too. Yeah, like, yeah. I these, remember these that. People, these people got coin. Yeah. I mean, they've been borrowing from the banks because it was cheap and yeah. they'll probably just pull assets and do whatever they got to do. But 
I mean, I'm only speculating. I have no idea, but, um, you know, I, uh, we're hearing rumors. It's, there's rumors down in Maricopa that tracks are starting to dry up and, you know, that's kind of a, uh, a double-edged sword here too, because, um, you know, once the tracks dry up, we've been pretty confident with, uh, the custom home prices, uh, being where they're at, um, that as soon as the tracks dry up, track guys come up here, try to edge snake, in us, snake the market and tank the market a little bit. And, um, we're hoping that when, you know, if there is a little bit of recession that like, there's a few of us standing at the top of the triangle and pyramid and I'm going to scoop up like 50, 50 guys if I could and, uh, grow through that recession and, you know, pick up once the labor market becomes flocks with talent. Um, that's the time to, that's the time to go spend some money. Yeah. 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 I think a reshuffling of the labor market is very beneficial to the, uh, the businesses that have the foundation to capitalize on it. Agreed. Rich get richer. So the, the supply chain is absolutely ridiculous right now. Um, I'm kind of curious and I wanted to ask you a couple of questions because I know, you're you're strictly framing at this point. How are you protecting yourself from the supply chain issues and the price fluctuations? Are you having builders purchase all the material? Do you have anything protecting you? How how does that look for you? Yeah, no, we control all materials, labor trusses, hardware machines, all of it. We're turnkey, uh, and it's for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I don't want to have to charge you if something that we need is not there in a timely manner, um, because I will. You know, uh, if you're holding me up from making money, then I'm going to charge you for it. But uh, also, you know, we have relationships with our vendors that are uh, extremely tight. And uh, we know ahead of time, we're big communicators. We'll communicate with the builder, like, here's what we're looking for. Okay, so if we can't, you know, at the time of purchase or at the time of bidding, we're like, okay, this is all 10-foot shear. You know, we're ordering 10-foot shear. I'll communicate with the builder when we come up on the purchase of the shear be like listen man there ain't no 10 foot shear in the, in the marketplace right now i can get eight foot shear i'm gonna block everything at eight feet don't worry about it um but we'll, we're gonna get you done and uh and so you know we clause out our contracts as well that like you know we'll hold the pricing of the lumber as long as the our vendors will hold the pricing for us and sometimes it's kind of a flash sale you know we've tried a couple of times um through covid and through all the lumber fluctuations like dropping early we dropped early and we learned the hard way that you know dropping a month early what we give up is the ability to call our lumber and uh then we're buying new lumber and stuff like that like and that's something like you know when when that happened to us like uh i'm gonna buy the lumber anyways i'm not gonna put a shit stud in the house when it's already shit at framing like yeah it's gonna be brutal you know and um and so we just constantly communicate with our people, with the people that we're working for, that here's the best we can do. Here's what we got. And, uh, and here we go. Uh, Not, nothing is left unsaid. Everybody knows what's going on. Everybody's on the same page. 100%. A lot of our, a lot of our builders we work for love that, you know, hey, we pick up the phone. Absolutely. Uh, be that, like, we're willing to have these conversations, not just, you know, you find out and three months later that like, oh no, that's three five fly plywood on the roof. That's not a good thing. <laughs> you know, I, I saw a project here locally. It was a commercial build. 
it was the the absolute peak of lumber prices and they stocked up they bought nearly every sheet locally and that project to this day is still not framed that was heck that's been eight months it's still not framed the majority of the material sat out but that, that kind of goes back on what you were saying they weren't ready they had no foundation they bought all their material got it all on site ran into major structural issues and could not frame so everything just sat and what do you do at that point it goes to shit you have to buy new material nothing right. looks good their their exteriors look gray and weathered so i i like that you're you're keeping on top of things making sure that it goes the way you want it to go rather than just trying to chase that cheap price yeah i mean the the, the thing is like if somebody's shopping for a cheap price like that's what they're gonna get they're shopping for somebody that's putting a little more thinking into it and they find that person and that's a that's a good fit because um you know it's, the industry is hard Raymond's hard um it's easy to put a piece of shit in the house uh it's not easy when you're tired to go walk back to the lumber pile and grab a, another stud you know we try to keep not, it. not many people take pride in their building. I'm glad to see some still do, though. Yeah, we try. BJ, a couple of questions before we jump into our fast five. Um, over the last couple of years, uh, I, I think everybody has just gotten used to the backlog of projects with demand coming from all directions. Um, with the potential slowdown of demand um, and just delay on some materials, how are you thinking about scheduling in uh, when a slowdown is on the horizon or how are, are you taking a slowdown in consideration when you are thinking about scheduling? What does that look like for you? I mean, we're, we're so booked that, you know, anxiety is so high that, you know, I wish for a slowdown, uh, but I don't welcome a slowdown. Mm -hmm. I don't think I really know how to answer that question. Am I prepared for one? No, but am I willing to do what I need to do uh, to stay afloat during a slowdown? Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you seem like the type of guy that would figure it out regardless of what it is. If you guys are I mean, he's done it before. overly booked, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, you can do one of two things. It's either, it, it, you know, you drop your prices to get your guys busy again, or, uh, you know, you, you come to the guys and be like, hey, man, we can either lay off or we can drop down a couple bucks an hour, but we got to get competitive in this market because at, at a slowdown, well, the thing is, we fought so hard to get up to the top of the pyramid, man, that like, price is going to stay the same at the top of the pyramid. Uh, mm -hmm. That clientele is going to be able to support us. Like we can't, we can't drop down and make money. Yeah. Uh, you could drop down and survive, but not make money. Correct. Correct. Sink or swim. Swim, buddy. Yeah. It's on, uh, it's on Matt, Matt's hands for any of you uh, watching the, the video the portion. Between the younger generation and the older generation. All my tattoos are under my shirts. Are they? Yeah. <laughs> so quick, quick story on that. I was getting, um, I was getting my chest done not too long ago. This kid walks in, he has his face tattooed under his eyes. He's got his, his fingers done like crazy. And he takes off his shirt and he has no tattoos from the wrist all the <laughs> way up. Nothing on his chest, nothing on his legs. I'm like, holy shit, dude, you got your fingers and your face done. I would have smacked him right in the mouth. You are killing it. <laughs> He looked like every rapper. It was it was amazing. 
One of the questions that I want to ask you uh, before we jump in to the Fast Five is, uh, I think it's a really cool outlook. You, you've talked about this several times, just utilizing social media or own people in your market, but you talk a lot about community over competition. And like, given the, given the demand, like everybody has enough to eat and you just really operate from a place of leveraging uh, connections, whether it's not a direct competitor or from what I've heard from you, um, speaking with you, or even like your direct competitor. I, how do you think about creating those local allies with other businesses? How have you been able to do that? Because most people think of like their competitor as their competitor, not as an ally. Reach out, man. And the guys that are willing to have a conversation are the guys that would hit you back. And uh, one of my direct competitors, he's probably twice as big as me as far as um, revenue and as far as workforce, but we talk every day, you know, Um, because, you know, other business owners and especially in my industry, they know what it's like. They know the constant struggles. It's nice to hear like, yeah, shit, man. This guy did this. I got to go fix this, blah, blah, blah. Like we share in the triumphs. We share in the struggles. Um, you know, we talk pricing. We talk insurance. Do you guys bid competitively against each other? Nope. Okay. I won't bid against him and he won't bid against me. And No stepping mm. on toes. Kind of like that with about four or five of us. That's a massive level of respect. And, uh, and you know, we got our certain area. And, and, you know, he's my direct competitor literally in the same area. It's just, he works for some builders. I work for other builders. His builders will call me. I'm like, no, oh, man, I'm sorry. I, I wish I could, but I can't. Uh, That's awesome. And, uh, you know, he's done the same with us. And, uh, and it's, 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 it, it's pretty amazing because I've, you know, built, been built up by him on countless occasions where, you know, I wanted to give up. I remember talking to him being like, dude, I close the doors today. Would you hire me? And uh, and you know he's like, you know he's like quiet on the phone for a minute. It felt like forever. And he goes, "No, nah, I wouldn't hire you." You know, I was like, "You mother." <laughs> what I did was it was like, "All right, turn back around to your computer, figure this thing out, and go get it done." You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I want to since you brought that up, how many times in your career have you since since you've been a business owner, how many times have you thought to yourself? fuck this, drop everything. It's easier to be an employee. Has that crossed your mind quite a bit? Probably twice. Yeah. No, I mean, you get a fleeting thought and uh, one of the, I'm a daily meditator. Uh, Are you really? And uh, it really taught me to acknowledge the, the fleeting thought. And that's not important. Uh, but let's get to what is important. And that's right here, right now. That's usually trying to figure and solve a problem, you know? Mm-hmm. Fucking relentless. So I just, you know, the thought will come in, and there's been a couple times I've been so overwhelmed and you know, on the verge of like a mental breakdown. But I, I reach out, man. I ask for help. Yeah. I call my competitors. Like we got this little IG group called Carpenteros del Sol, and uh, it's framers from Massachusetts, Maine, California, uh, Canada. That's awesome. And we just rap with each other. Like, oh man, can you believe this? Look at this dirty ass meme, you know? And like, we keep it light, but we keep it business. We keep it professional. And like, we're all working for really high priced clientele. And like, the demand is high. And like, the thing to be like, you know, 
your quality better be high. And like, it's a hard thing to maintain. And like, if you don't have other people to talk to about it, I can go home and talk to my wife, but like, you know, she don't completely care or understand, you know, mm-hmm. like deeply about me, but like, doesn't want me to talk about work all the time. She might not have been in those shoes to relate. I think a lot of, a lot of the times you can talk to other business owners because they can directly relate. Correct. Correct. And that experience is all I'm looking for. I, I like how you approach uh, building the allies. I think it's very helpful to lean on other shoulders. And we, we've talked about that even early in the podcast of, uh, I think there's a little bit of stigma around reaching out for help. And I think that just should not be the case. It sounds like mentors have been insanely helpful to you. Your own business coach that has kind of turned the business around. But now even as you progress uh, and you keep building your labor force or new projects, um, building those allies seems to be very foundational to where you want to go next. That's the same approach with the building, man. I'm just standing on the shoulders of giants, man. That's, that's all we're doing. I like it, man. BJ, uh, before we wrap up our episodes, we end with our fast five. It's five questions to be answered in a sentence or less. Number one, what's your favorite thing to do outside of work? Be with my kids. Play with my kids. Or, or ride my banshee. One or two. <laughs> Number two, what's one thing on your bucket list? Build the next cool house, man. Number three, if you could have your dream car, what would it be? 1989 Ford Mustang Cobra, but with T-tops. Good choice. Number four, your one message to the next generation would be? Keep grinding, man. Do your thing. Ask for help. Everything that we've talked about today. Number five, what does bread to build mean to you? I was interviewed for a magazine a while back. And I know this is not one sentence, but um, I didn't choose Framing and Framing chose me. So essentially anybody who's out here trying to do their thing, uh, trying to make their little niche of a neighborhood better uh, in the industry, that's bread to build. Mm -hmm. I like that, man. BJ, thanks so much for joining us on the Bread to Build podcast. Before we let you off the hook, though, where can people find and connect with you? Right now, I'm in my office. Walk into BJ's office and connect with him. <laughs> I'm on my way. Um, yeah, you can find me on Instagram at AmericanSpiritCustomBuilders.com. You can find me on LinkedIn at AmericanSpiritCustomBuilders.com or BJ Mater. Uh, you can find us on Facebook, um, all the other happenings and social medias and things like that. You can find me on Hammer, although I forgot my login. Oh, we need to get that figured out, BJ. Guys, thanks so much for listening to another episode of the Bread to Build podcast. Pretty sure this is the big 3-0. If you like the podcast, drop us an awesome review. We'll send out some stickers. I think we're going to get some shirts made too. I, I feel like good. that would be a good thing. Yeah. If you want to uh, join us on the podcast or have topics, uh, shoot us a message over at the Bread to Build podcast on Instagram. Um, again, you can find me on all social media platforms at Brett Gowen, at We Are Hammer, and at Builders Events on Insta. You can find me on all social platforms at Matt Bangswood. Number 30, 30 episodes down. Here's to another 30. We'll see you guys next time on the Bread to Build podcast. <laughs>